my name is Kath, and some of you know you know me because I've been your teacher. Um, but I'm um, very excited to become and share with you tonight. Zoe and I have, um, I guess we've preached this word before, but um, God has given some extra words to to give to you guys tonight. So as we um, get into the word, I do have lollies. Um, I am a teacher, so there will be an opportunity for you to get a lolly at a moment. So just pay attention, all right? <laughs> so today my little section is called Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. And what I just loved in that last song is um, the whole notion of building a life on the firm foundation and where are the words when I was just reading it? Like, where it is? Where is it? Oh, my goodness, I'm trying to find where it's gone. Oh, I was just singing it and I'm like, I'll put my trust in you and I'll be not be shaken. Uh, anyway, it does, it's, you know, it's also, it's actually, you know, how we live our lives can actually influence other people. So today, it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So if you could get your Bibles out, I'm actually going to read from the message translation, but it's Romans 12, 9 to 13. And it says this, Love from the centre of who you are, don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil, hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Oh, look, you've got it all up there. <laughs> um, Today, I guess I could stand here and give you a practical, like, five-step guide on how to be how to be good. But um, you probably already know how to be good because you're here. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have the, all the answers, so I'm not going to give you like a, a you know an amazing epiphany of how to be um, an amazing Christian. But um, when I originally got had this sermon put together, Mark was doing a whole. Um, Pastor Mark was doing a whole sermon on Romans and just the week before it was talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind and uh, that led into this passage and I really believe that these words had a lot to do with the passage today because sometimes we actually need to have our mind renewed and reset so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to be the centre of who we are so that we don't fake it. We hold on to the good. But what is good? So here come the lollies. I've Googled some good people. And if you can tell me who these good people are, actually, I reckon I've got their names up there. So that's going to help you out. Or if you could tell me what they are famous for. Okay, so the first person is Mother Teresa. Can you someone put their hand up and tell me who they are and what they were famous for? Orphanage, what was she? A mother. A mother to... Starts with a... A nun or a nurse? You, you can... There we go. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Next person. 
Queen Victoria. Go. <gasps> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Well done. She did. She also um, started schools so that children could not be in those horrible uh, working conditions and actually gave them a, a key to life. All right, next person. Yes. Are you going to give me anything else? Well done. <laughs> it was a scientist. All right, I'm going to see. You might have to stand up. I'm not a very good thrower. Oh, see, not a very good thrower. <laughs> Maybe I'll do underhand next time. All right, here we go. Next person is Mari Curry. Um, she didn't discover penicillin. <gasps> Who said it? Who said it first? Someone over here said radiation, radioactivity. It wasn't you. <laughs> there you go. All right. Next one is Princess Diana. Do we know who she was? What she was famous for? She was not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We don't know? Yes. She did. Who, like... Yeah, she did. And she was a pretty honourable person. There we go. Oh, sorry, watch out. Almost got your head. Okay, next person. Florence Nightingale. Anyone know? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> did someone just tell you that? No, you can have another one. There you go. There it's coming. All right. Another one. You're going to get a whole collection in a minute. All right, let's go back. So... These people over history and time have actually been good people. So they've discovered things, they've helped them out, but they're not necessarily, um, well, they're not Christian or what they might be, but they're not famous for that. And one of the things that I was reflecting on when I was looking at these people is the character that they have is they've done something for other people. So they're good and society sees them as being good. Now, I'm a teacher and I teach five-year-olds, but I also teach in an area and in a culture of Murray Bridge, which is really tricky. Um, I have a daily experience where I'm driving to work and I don't know what I'm going to get in my class. I teach five-year-olds, but there's significant trauma. Children are coming from homes that are significantly... Um, I guess, underprivileged. There's domestic violence. There's a whole myriad of things. So I can't actually rock up to work and have my plan ready to go. I have to actually change depending on how these kids rock up to the classroom. So one of the things that I have to do as I'm driving the freeway and I've got my cruise control on and my coffee in my hand is that I have to pray for strength because my strength doesn't come from being good. It comes from God. The love that I have for my kids comes from a, a daily relationship that I put myself in to God. And one of the things that I was reflecting on is that 
when we live lives as Christians, we can easily just rock up to church, do the church thing, go back to our lives on Monday and just be completely different and then change it all over again, be really awesome, catch up with my church friends, do those things and then go back to being what you were before. Good. When I was talking to a friend about this, she's like, well, if you want to be good, have a, you know, a, a little bit of a think about when Moses went to the, the big mountain and God revealed the Ten Commandments to him. When he came down, he uh, had he'd been in such a great in awe of God that he was immersing himself in the Holy Spirit and the presence that he actually came down and his face was, or it says, when he came down from Mount Sinai, his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. When Moses came down, they were just holding back, afraid to get close. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in an opportunity where you can worship so much that your face is radiating God? Where your face is radiating the Holy Spirit? And I know that uh, when I grew up, I went to lots of camps and I know that when I was at camps, like worship was amazing because that's all you were doing. You were praying and you were worshipping. And you're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you on the inside out. But it's not just at camps, it's all the time. And God seeks out us for every day to be that person that worships privately. Not in front of everyone, just to go, yep, got this, I'm good. But it's actually supernaturally praying with God on our own and allowing him to transform us from the inside. So when we worship, it needs to be authentic worship so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to really transform us from the inside. And also reading the word. Last year, was a, uh, there was a moment for me where I'd gone through a pretty tough personal trial and I felt that God was saying, worship and read my word. And I felt that God actually breathed through a passage of Isaiah 54 and it gave me a vision for me personally and professionally. And I literally was sitting in my lounge room and I had a worship song on and God just, it doesn't normally happen where I open my Bible and he just reveals words to me. But I really felt that I had actually just blocked whatever was going on in my life for my personal crisis. I actually just put my focus on God and he did the rest. And in these moments when I'm quiet and reflective, I sense the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, our lives then get busy again. And in Romans 11, 13, it says to be alert, to don't quit in hard times and pray all the harder. So I just encourage you, if you're going through a hard time at the moment, don't whinge about it, pray about it. And uh, I was actually talking to a really dear friend yesterday and they're like, you know, it's all about the transforming of our mind and kind of changing our mindset really to allowing the Holy Spirit to be moving in our lives when other people aren't watching. In the Passion Translation, this section talks about being a boiling hot Christian to show continual joy 
And it says, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and to never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honour of one another. And just in talking to Abby when we came in today, she was just saying how amazing it is that there's transformation happening within this place. Lives are being changed. That's so exciting. Because when you allow Holy Spirit to start moving inside you, your face starts to change. You're radiant. You're glowing with the Holy Spirit. And the excitement doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit being inside of you. It's not hard. We make it hard. But it's just allowing us to be quiet, to be still, for the renewing of your mind and so that the love of God will flow and shine through you. On? Yeah, well done. Is it going to shout at me? No? Okay. Hi, guys. It's good to be back here. I love this service. I'd be here more if I didn't have three children. Um, you guys have been going through Romans. How full on is Romans? There's <laughs> no room for hiding, is there? Like it's, It draws everything out. And this passage, Romans 12, um, you could just keep coming back to throughout your life and I don't think you'd ever not be challenged by it so in some ways it's actually quite challenging writing this because there's so much um, you could say but I'm just going to draw out three things but let me just read the passage that I'm um, flowing on from where Kath's um, uh, what Kath's spoken about so Romans 12 14 to 21 if you're following along bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And do not, become, do, not overcome, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's so much in that, isn't there? Can I just get those two books? I just forgot to bring them up, thanks. Um, okay, so I'm going to draw out three things, three of those particular passages. And in each of my little drawing, drawing out of those verses, I'm going to give you a reference point. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in my life, when God is trying to teach me something, um, he impacts me in some way, whether it's someone's a story or something that happens in my life or I read something, and it's like this reference point that just sticks really hard. And so I'm actually going to share three reference points from my life tonight in the hope that somehow it'll impact you. I'm not saying they have to be your reference points because hopefully, you know, you have your own. Or feel free to take mine. Um, so I'm just going um, to take out three things. But before we get to that, I just want to remind us that, that these verses, like Romans 12, is the practical outworking, the response of everything Paul has been explaining to us. 
in uh, Romans chapters 1 to 11 as you've been going through this series. So just to give you a little recap, so not only is Paul not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power to save, chapter 1, that man is justified by faith and not by works alone, chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts, chapter 5, so that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, chapter 6. There you go. There's your big summary, right, of Romans. So everything given to us from, Roman, uh, from chapters 1 to 11 is, is leading and point, pointing to the outworking of chapter 12. So why is that so important for us today? Well, it means that God is not only concerned about our eternal state but, and our eternal destiny, but God is actually concerned with how we live today. Today. The righteous man shall live by faith. So yeah, the gospel's great news for sinners, but even more and often overlooked. It's good news and has power for us Christians today in our striving against the effects of sin in our lives. And so Romans 12 is, is, is crucial because he's basically giving us a roadmap of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. So our job as the body of Christ is to understand what this really means, like in every circumstance, in every context, in every age, and bring this text to life. And what struck me in preparing this message, and you might have even thought this as I was just reading that passage, but every single one, every single one of these commands in Romans 12, you will see and you do see in the life of Jesus. And so I was reading this, my heart response was, wow, I want to live out Romans 12. I've got to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus to be my teacher. You can't do it without him. So, and I, I'm not sure because I haven't been going along in the night, but if it's anything been like the morning, because we've had Romans, Romans as well, um, Mark challenged us, you know, with that passage, don't, don't conform to the patterns of this world. And, and what, what does that look like? What do the patterns of this world look like? Well, in my personal opinion, the answers lie in here in that we are called to move in the opposite spirit to the world. So everything in here in Romans 12 is actually... Um, like the kingdom way and everything to the opposite of that is the patterns of this world. And that's why this is so challenging and, and, it, and it's going to be exciting to preach about. So, yeah, it might be hard at times and it might cost something of ourselves, but the blessings and the fruit, I guarantee, will be eternal. So, my first one, weep with those who weep. And I'm guessing if you're a man, this is not your favourite verse. Because men don't cry, do they? Men don't cry. Um, I, wish I, I wish I had that problem. I cry in like the Mother's Day song at childcare. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I would love not to cry in certain times. But, but this is really important and I'm, I'm you know, I'm tra- treating it lightly. But weep with those who weep. Obviously, that is, it's much deeper than that. And I think this is really important because... Entering to speak about, because entering into someone else's grief and identifying with them 
can be a struggle for us for many, for many reasons. Because grief can make us uncomfortable. Or we think we shouldn't grieve because, hang on, isn't God sovereign? So why should we, why should we grieve that situation? I mean, you know, um, or we worry that, you know, we might encourage them to stay in that bitterness and so we better just try and cheer them up. Well, there's a really good proverb about that. Have a listen to this. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. So in other words, that's Proverbs 25, 20. In other words, there is a time for cheering people up, but we've got to be sensitive to that because there's a time to grieve with someone who's grieving. And, and when we do actually, when we're actually prepared to enter into that person's emotional world, you know, sometimes rather than weep with them, we just want to fix the problem. I know, I'm sure we've all been there. But part of compassion is sympathising and identifying with someone even when you might have a solution to their problem. And one of the most, well, one of the, probably the famous verse in the Bible because it's the shortest is, Jesus wept. John 11:35. why did he weep? Yeah, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus in love for his friend and for Mary and Martha, even though he knew in advance that he would raise him from the dead. So why did he weep? It tells us in verse 36, it says, Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how he loved him. Isn't that amazing? That he loved them and he was moved with compassion. And identifying with someone else's grief is an expression of love. So, you know, wanting to help solve someone's problems not wrong, is not wrong, but compassion enters their world first. And I think, you know, sadly, the reality is that in our ever-increasing, busy lives, I think very few people have time for face-to-face, hand-to-hand ministry. And, you know, sometimes we just think that, oh, I'll just send them a text and that'll cover it. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we all know a text can be great in the right time, and the, but there's no substitute for face-to-face ministry. I think that's really important to remember f- today for us. Um, and probably the most confronting, this is my reference point, number one, okay, it's my little story. A couple of years ago, uh, 2015, uh, I went to visit my brother um, in San Francisco um, and uh, while he was at the lab, I went out one day with um, the pastor of his church, this Arabic church, um, and I went out with Pastor Ziad, sorry, and um, just, you know, tracking along, making the most of my time, <laughs> and uh, wondering what pastors do in the day. And uh, anyway, we ended up at this, um, this Iraqi family's home, and I didn't really know what, what I was getting myself in for, but this... Um, poor grandmother, Iraqi grandmother, her grandson had just been, he was a soldier in Iraq and she just received news of his death that in, as a um, soldier serving in Iraq, he'd been killed in a motorbike accident. And, um, and so we walk into this lounge room, this home, and it's just, you know, filled with all their family, extended family, and they're just weeping, you know, and just, just weeping. And I just felt so uncomfortable because I thought, oh my goodness, like, I don't know them. 
and, and here they are in this really personal, private, you know, t terrible moment. But pastor, being pastor, just walked in there to show them the love of Christ and to be with them in that grief and to pray with them. And I was so um, impacted and I, I thought that they would think that it was weird that I was there, but they just loved me because they saw me as caring and being there and wanting to pray with them. And, you know, it just changed me. It, it really did. It made me, as I think sometimes we're afraid, you know, death causes us to be afraid um, of, of how, to, how do I even touch that person, um, reach that person or, or, or show love to that person. Um, and, yeah, so, so it, to me it, it kind of showed me a, the way that, that Christ would want us to be in that situation. Um, I mean, of course, I wouldn't have gone there if, it had not, if I hadn't been with Pastor. But um, together I felt that God, yeah, he sent us there that day and it was, it was amazing and um, a real privilege to pray with them and weep with them. And, um, so number two, this is my second verse. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And I, I think I've probably struggled with this the most I, because I know there's not a great outworking of this in my, in my own life um, as, there sh as there should be because I know that this is where Jesus shows up the most. And you, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I hope you do. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, some of you might be familiar with Heidi Baker. She's incredible, um, uh, you know, has done incredible ministry with the poor in Mozambique, and I love her book, but I just love this. Um, she says, People often ask me why we see so many miracles among the poor. Sorry, see, why we see so many more miracles among the poor than among the wealthy, comfortable Westerners. The answer is simple. The poor know they're in need. They know what it is to be desperate and hungry, and they turn that desperation and hunger toward him. They stay desperate. They stay hungry. God lifts up the humble, and he fills the hungry with good things. And, you know, when you, you think about verses, particular verses in the Bible that just show, and not only the verses, but what, the stories, and, you know, shows how much God loves the poor. In Proverbs 19, 17, it says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. And, you know, what's the, what's the first thing that Jesus said when he spoke his first sermon in public? The very first thing he said in public, in a sermon. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to freedom for the captives and I quote of Isaiah. Yeah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Yeah, but the very first sentence, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Isn't that amazing? And I think the biggest reason that we're reluctant to, you know, to sort of serve the poor or, you know, enter into that situation or I think probably one thing, well, certainly for me, it holds me back. Like when I think about the home, this, this dear homeless guy that sleeps right outside my building, I walk past him every morning, like he's right outside the, the entrance and, um, and it's, it's his little home, he's got his shoes that he puts neatly, you know, like he's, 
um, you know, various people bring him, you know, leave him things. And, um, and I often think, oh, man, like, how do you help? Like, because where would you start? And, you know, that kind of thing. I think those are the thoughts that, you know, hold us back. And, um, but I just think it's really important that, you know, when, when we think, well, oh, we don't know how to help and the need just seems too great and our resources seem so few and, you know, well, how they get themselves in that situation, whatever. Um, I just think it's a really good thing to remember that God's not asking us to solve the problem of world pov- worldwide poverty. Like, that's not, that's not what God is saying to us. But I think what he does ask of us is to bring whatever we can, whatever he's calling us to bring in that situation, and to trust that the, that the same Lord who fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish can bless and multiply, multiply whatever we bring to help a few hurting people in our midst, you know, and to, and to be open to the, to the people that God has put in our lives. And so second reference point. A few, a couple of years ago, this story really impacted me. So there was a, a group of women who I know who pray regularly in the prayer tower in the city and um, they had, they're just women of prayer, like real intercessory, listening to God, incredible women of prayer. And they told me this story as if it was just any other, you know, any other day. <laughs> um, but anyway, they were praying together one day and God um, spoke to them quite clearly that there was someone in Quorn, you know, the little town of Quorn that, that needed their help or that needed the Lord's help. And all they got was Quorn and the street name, 7th Street. So they got in their car and they drove four hours to Quorn not knowing who, what, where, when they were looking for. They drove down 7th Street, just driving. One of them sees a, a, house, a white house with a low brick fence and it, an image came. She said, I think that's the house. I think that's the house I saw when we were praying. So they knock on the door. No one answers. They knock again. No one answers. They get back in the car feeling like... Oh. What was the point of that? We just drove four hours. Um, they're about to turn around. God says, go back. They're like, okay. They go back. They turn around. They knock on the door. No answer. They knock on the door. They hear a cry. They hear a response like someone's calling out. They open the door and there's a man, an alcoholic, who's been lying there for three days. He hasn't eaten. He's basically on the verge of death. He wants to die, and they open the door and find him. This is a true story. They get him out of there, they feed him, they wash him, they clothe him, they get him, you know, right again. They take him to church. He gives his heart to the Lord. They stay a few days or however long they needed to stay. And as they're driving, eventually driving home, they said... You know, that was amazing, God. Like, but why us? Why did you make us drive 337 kilometres to help this one guy? And do you know what the Lord said? He said, because you were the closest ones, willing and available. And that just hit me. Because how many times... In my life, have I walked past somebody that the Lord was counting on me 
to be willing and available. I'm sure there's plenty. How often does my busy schedule and the tasks that I've got to get through in the day stop me from even listening and knowing who's on God's heart today? So, but rather than stand here and condemn myself in front of you or for you to feel condemned, that's not my point. Um, well, the reason I share that story, one, because it's a reference point and I've just never forgotten it and it comes back to me often. I think that's the distance of Corn to Adelaide and no one else, you know, like, I mean, how incredible is that? And these are women of prayer. These are, they, they don't, if you met them and you heard them, you would believe it. You're not, they're not making this stuff up. Um, but I know that there is a part of each of us and there's a part of each of you who knows Jesus that does see glory in visiting the lost and the struggling and helping the poor because you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit rejoices in these things and the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And so my question, my challenge for you tonight is, you know, what is the Holy Spirit leading you to do in your life? What are the things that you might have buried deep down that you kind of know God is prompting you? And it might just be like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking both on a day-to-day, you know, whatever you do in your day, that, that listening to God, but also I'm talking in the long-term vision of your whole life. And, you know, just to sh- share honestly, I, I have a, a, a deep dream that I don't know if ever, ever will be birthed. I pray that it does. But one day I would love to, re- to lead a, Bible, a women's Bible study in the women's prison. I'd love to do the Bethmore Breaking Free Bible study with a group of female prisoners. I don't know, I don't know why maybe... I've spent a lot of time prosecuting criminals, so maybe I feel like I need to invest in them. But, <laughs> um, but I really, I don't know, I just have a, I have a heart for prisoners. I pray for them often. I want to I spend time with them. I want to see them released and, and, you know, redeemed and know the love of God, um, see them transformed. I don't know how that could ever happen. For starters, I'd have to get <laughs> permission from, from, from the Crown. But anyway, um, one day maybe when I'm retired, I don't know, but I just, I know the Holy Spirit longs to do that and that is in my heart and I pray for the day that it happens. Um, So yeah, please, like just tonight, you know, let God call out these things in your heart. Um, Number three, this is my last one. Totally changing chat tack here because Paul jumps around in that passage. He jumps from one thing to the other. He's talking about evil and then he's talking about the poor and um, he's talking about weeping. So this is the last one. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, and this, you know, these verses follow these exhortations such as bless those who persecute you. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And this is challenging because... It's, it, it commands us to set aside our natural response, which is to get back at someone. I'm sure we've all experienced that more than once. And I think it's easy to read this and think, oh, great, you know, being a Christian is just a pushover. you just got to be a pushover, don't you? Someone who gets walked all over. And I would suggest to you tonight that, no, if anything, it's the contrary. Because when someone hurts you, 
it's natural to want to hurt them back. But we all know what kind of vicious cycle that becomes. And, you know, you've probably seen it in your families um, or at work, just how ugly things um, can become really quickly. And if you haven't, I, I strongly recommend you just go and hang out at the family court for the day or the magistrate's court, domestic violence, um, just to see the, the destruction that revenge br brings. It's horrible. But, you know, what's not so easily understood by the world is that those who take revenge are conquered and those who forgive are conquerors. Seeking revenge is not a sign of strength, but it's actually a sign of weakness. It takes much greater strength to overcome the desire for revenge than to give into it. But how do we actually overcome evil with good? Like, what does that look like, practically speaking? Well, I'm just going to make a few suggestions, but firstly, I would say, you know, we should really be tackling it in the spiritual first, because, you know, you've got to recognise we're not battling against, the, against flesh and blood, but by the principalities and powers of the evil world. So, you know, you can, you can fast and pray first for that over that whole situation. Um, you can surrender that whatever attack you might be under when you just know it's, it's, it's evil. You can just surrender that to God so that he can help you put aside your, that human reaction and then wait for the Holy Spirit to show you how to tackle the situation. But I can just say that, you know, holding a grudge will be a complete roadblock um, for the Holy Spirit to give you that response. So it might be tackling it with the truth of a situation. Sometimes you need to tackle it with the truth and the truth of God. It might be prayer. It might be practical kindness. Um, but just, you know, just for a second, just talking about family situations, you know, I think we have to recognise sometimes, sometimes people just don't like us. And, you know... They don't like that you're a Christian or whatever, you know, but I think it's really important that when that happens um, that we don't force the situation because, you know, you can actually end up doing more harm than good. Sometimes we just have to release it. We have to let it go. But uh, my wise old brother once told me, um, your responsibility in that situation is not to do anything that would destroy the relationship so you don't force it, but at the same time, you don't do anything that would cut them off from you forever. Because otherwise, you're not leaving any, leaving any room for God to work. If you know what I mean. So Paul here in Romans 12 is showing us the keys to transform relationships. This is not some lofty ideal of how the world should work. This is real. So, you know, just... To remember, like, by, surrender, by, by surrendering himself to the will of the Father, Jesus conquered sin, he conquered Satan, he conquered death. That was a legal transaction. So if we're willing to do the same, to surrender our human reaction to the will of the Father, we can expect to see incredible results, miraculous results. But yeah, evil can't drive out evil. An evil response just doubles the evil. It's funny, I was at work drinks on Friday night talking to you know, a good friend of mine who's not, doesn't know the Lord. And you know, he was saying I was really enjoying his, you know, his new role. And, but 
He said, oh, but there's this one person. I went to uni with him and I have to eliminate him. He's my competition. And I was saying, I won't say his name. I was saying, no, there's a better way. There's a better way. You know, like you just, oh. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's a better way. It's love. The God, Jesus won won it for us. But it's so hard for them to see because they don't know the love. Um. But yeah. Okay, yeah. So this is my this is my last reference point. Hopefully the most impacting one for you. So some of you would have heard of Corrie Temboon. You know Corrie Temboon, amazing book, The Hiding Place. Um, so this really impacted me as a teenager. And this is my reference point for good conquering evil. And it's my reference point for forgiveness, forgiving anyone in my life. Um, so Corrie ten Boom came from a Dutch family who hid Jews in their home during, um, in their little home in Holland during the Nazi persecution. And um, until sadly they were caught, they were betrayed by a friend. And who, who, so they were caught and they ended up going to the concentration camps, even though they weren't Jewish, they went to the concentration camps too with, other, with Jews. And... Um, Incredibly, uh, so Corrie's father and sister were put to death in gas chambers in Ravensbrook. Um, and incredibly, Corrie was spared. That's a miracle in itself. You have to read the book to find out how. Um, but later in 1947, she travelled from Holland to back, God called her back into defeated Germany <sighs> with the message of forgiveness. Can you think of anything more difficult? It's extraordinary. Um, but so she's in Germany... And as she's delivering her message, little does she realise that one of the prison guards that she knew from Ravensbrook, who had put her sister to death, um, was in the audience. And he was like one of the cruelest guards. So I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read this from that point. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown, and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its, with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Oh, Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. 
Betsy had died in that terrible place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it, not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. It was those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in Romans 5.5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That's my reference point for forgiveness. Amazing. So, just to close, I just want to say that the verses in Romans 12 are not a list of commandments to condemn us or a measuring rod to see how your life stacks up. It's the life that Jesus won for us by setting us free from sin and death, and his life is poured out in us. Every one of you, every one of us, when we have the Holy Spirit, any, every one of you can weep with those who weep. Every one of you can touch the lives of the broken and the struggling and the poor, the hurting. The Holy Spirit longs to do that through you. And every one of you can forgive your enemies. So let's go and live that life. I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, Thank you so much, Lord, for your presence with us tonight and for refreshing us again with your word. And Holy Spirit, we just take this moment to give you free reign in our hearts, Lord, to speak to us. And Father, I just pray that if, if we have unresolved things in our heart, Lord, issues about forgiveness or... Um, 
things that you, we know you're prompting us to do, but we're just putting them to one side. Then, Father, just don't let us leave here tonight without talking to you about them, whether we pray with someone here or just pray in our hearts or with a friend. or We just want to give you this time, Lord, and speak to us afresh, we pray. If there's nothing, there's nothing, God, there's nothing that compares to your voice in our hearts. And we just praise you tonight. Amen. We're just going to have a little bit more worship. So if, um, if you want to come up for prayer about anything, please feel free. There'll be people to pray. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.